Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, uh, welcome to uh, this session. Uh, I'm happy to be here today. Uh, it's my second time in Oxford, but um, first time that I'm uh, the most welcome, and I wish to just share with you a little bit of uh, what I've been doing in this subject. Uh, my vision uh, subject is very broad, uh, but uh, we try to look at it from different perspectives. And return migration or circular migration has been one of those perspectives that we give to it. Uh, the idea is, is that after the shift from the focus on the negative sides of migration, uh, there's an increasing focus on but what are the potentials of migration. Well, but, uh, people living in the UK know very well that this debate has been very hot and has had some consequences in terms of how the general public view this and policymakers also look at it. Uh, based on our research in the Netherlands, uh, I try to focus on the Ghanaian organizations uh, uh, for certain reasons. It was possible to uh, do a study both in the Netherlands and Ghana. Uh, and the two contexts give possibilities for examining what, what possibilities are there in terms of the activities of diaspora organizations within the Netherlands but also in Ghana. The idea is that you can only trace or, or check the footsteps of, of, of migration activities of migrants if they are capable of returning. There are many migrants who say migrants can contribute to development, but to what extent are people able to return to the place where we expect them to contribute? So uh, I try to look at the group that was possible to trace in this sense, looking at what activities they do in the Netherlands and what they do in the country of origin and different parts of the region or uh, country of origin, which is different uh, regions in Ghana. The other point was uh, the group is relatively large, so it was possible to identify different formation group organizations, uh, study their associational life, and look at what kind of activities they implement, which focuses on their own group, but also uh, that focus on the country of destination, as well as the activities that they undertake in the country of origin. I just have this uh, outline, uh, so I'll try to just give you a brief uh, outline of what the focus of the study was. Um, uh, still, we it's an ongoing project, but also why the Ghanaian organizations, as I started to highlight, and then what kind of some kind of the initial findings that we've come across uh, over the last few years, and then what are the implications of what we've seen, and what could be part of the ongoing discussions about secular migrations. I know there's a lot of work being done at IMI, for example, about return migrations or people at PRIO. Johan Kalling and many others are working the same. Aspirations, motivations, those discussions are there. But we've also had policy prescriptions about how to get people back. One of them being deportations. And I think, you know, this week some people put in those kind of ideas in practice. But what are the implications of that? Because it's not as simple as that. It's about human beings, and you cannot just pluck them off and throw them in another place. Migration is a process. It, it's, it is multifaceted, and it has a lot of uh, different aspects connected to it. It's not just one strict thing where you can plot it from A to B. Hence, uh, we thought of looking at circular migration from a different angle. <coughs> that was one of our arguments, that we need to look at an alternative understanding in terms of the approaches that could be given to what we call circular migration. We know that the most focus has been on management of migration. That is 
the basic underlying factor in policy uh, interventions. But management of migration can be seen from two sides. One side is just control. But you can also manage something for some kind of better outcomes. You can manage something for better outcomes for all the stakeholders involved. But in most cases, we've seen that it is about a top-down approach to how we address the question of uh, managing migration, even without some of the key players being silent in the process. Their voices are not part of that. Another angle that we've seen is that we talk about return, and we only focus on individuals. Uh, we treat uh, migrants as very homogeneous, but we don't look at different dynamics within so-called migrant communities. And one side which is omitted so much is the, the community dimension. What are they doing collectively? Because within these communities, uh, for those who have looked at migration studies working on migrant communities, there serve a lot of purposes within the countries of destination, but also back in the countries of origin, hometown associations and many others. And most of the migration and development literature confirms this, some of these, the impact of their activities. But then how comes we have never focused on what role these kind of formations can play in facilitating what we call return? It's because we are looking at return from our own perspective, but not from the other side. Well, uh, Culling and others are talking about aspirations of migrants, even motivations for mobility. The first thing why did people decide to move in the first place? If we ask that question, we can also ask, but what do they think about return? Because if we know why they left and if they've achieved what they came for, we can say, okay, but when are we likely to return? But we never ask those questions, so we start to focus on our component of the problem. And the other discussion which is already taking shape is about the contribution of diasporas to development. I say it's a here and there perspective, that's how I would say it. And I say it's our experience. I work on a mission as a scholar, but I'm also a migrant. I leave this experience. So I don't need any issue that for families. I can tell in my story to someone. I live differently with my family and my other networks. So if you want to ask me how do I identify myself in all this complex construction, yeah, I can explain it. And if policymakers want to know how to get me back to where they want me to go, then they should listen to me how I've worked around it. But they never do that, for some reasons. Some are playing to the audience at home, which they're manipulating emotionally, as we have seen in the recent past. But also, it's also true, policy priorities in the destination countries are also important in terms of what matters to them. And in most cases, we know migration becomes a weeping subject. You know, it's a very easy subject to wipe. You, know? you can whip anyone on the migration subject because they don't have a voice. And it has been used very effectively this last period, last year and until now, it's part of that. So it's very easy to pick migrants and it's a subject as a scapegoat. It's very easy to do that because we are, they are voiceless. And when it comes to countries of origin, again, the, the way they approach migration is very different even though we have bilateral relations around this subject. And that's where the return question becomes very complex. And those who have studied the work of IOM can tell how this plays out. So we decided then to focus on the policies. What's happening with these policies? What are they looking at? And we see that most of them are focused on classifying migrants as this and that. Scale, semi-scale, legal, name it, long list of 
things. And then based on that, we pre prescribe what should be done with them. But these are also human beings. They're not just objects. And then when you want them to go where we think it fits them, I think we miss certain things in police interventions. And those prescriptions, which are top-down, if you approach it that way, it's not addressing actually the needs of the destination countries. I saw a letter from Madeleine Albright today, yesterday. She sent me one of her emails. She's saying how she went to the United States. And quickly she's saying how Syrian refugees are already making a contribution to the American economy. Some are buying homes already now, they're spending and doing a lot of things. So they're not just taking from the dollars from the US. They're already investing even at this crisis moment. But it's not, always not very easy to capture those perspectives because of the way policy is oriented. So one of the main uh, premises is that <coughs> We need to understand the, the implications of demographic drivers, which continue to challenge mobility, and also how that affects societies, and the pressures that put on governments. So, obviously, we see the pressures being uh, put on governments at domestic level. Excuse about non-performance of government is not a question. That's how I put it today. It's not about anti-establishment mentality. I'm trying to start to argue against that perspective. It's not about that. It's about the national state in Ukraine and its role. If you have to be a territory, like in this question, I need to make this environment more conducive for all of us here. The moment this is not working for any of us here, there will be problems. And if this is the only thing we have in the whole box, this is where you live, this is where you work, this is where you realize your dreams. The things are not working in this room, they are proven. But that's the role of the national state. The West funded one. It is very challenging as my view. And when leaders don't focus on the real idea of the national state system, then we have a problem in the context of the organization. And when they don't address the needs of the population, it's not about the system, it's about the people, how they focus on how to take up the national state. And then migration becomes a discussion, well, that's not the problem. <coughs> the neoliberal economics, which drives, which is part of globalization, taking jobs away from home to other places, has nothing to do with migrants. That technology has nothing to do with migrants. Migrants never introduced that in the United States in the first place. Mr. Trump, unless he reverses that ideology, I don't think he thinks we want because it's an economic system already exported from the US. But now migration becomes uh, the, the point of discussion as the solution. If we get people out, knock them out, we solve our problems. Well, it's a very big, complex issue. So in that case, we see a lot of pressure at the, at the destination country level, which is also realistic, but the question is, how should we understand these pressures? And then when you look at how they're intervening, we see a lot of top-down uh, approach to dealing with migration. And when they start fragmenting migrants into different categories, and when by doing that, they deny the migrants their genetic power, Remember all the experiences during the trajectory of migration. That kind of initiative is so powerful. And Americans should be witnesses to that. That's why in the United States, because they made the migrants. So if they are saying they're very country, yes, that's, that's the power of migrants. And that's the genetic power of migration. So if you turn it around, even the UK can do very well until everyone is working. 
but the, but the leadership maybe is not focused in that direction. So by doing that, they deny this responsibility, and especially the role of communities, because the communities understand what dynamics are within, what needs are of the people. They are solving some of their problems through net, uh, safety nets and so on, and in that context, they can help to unpack some of the issues that policymakers don't understand. But again, to what extent do they reach out to migrant communities? That you can check different EU countries how they are responding to migrants. And then the constraints that are placed through the circular migration policies have implications for how uh, people think about that or not. Because once you put these conditions, there are problems with actually the people think of the town. Because when the US right now, what do you want to Brexit? There will be discussions about the consequences. But I will tell you, uh, ask many migrants, depends on the background again, what made them leave in the first place. If they are rooted in those violence or state collapse, it will take time before people say, okay, I'm going there. It is not a place to go out. But there are people who came for economic reasons. That's no problem, because they came to look for something and then they have to return to something. So if such a person comes here working in the healthcare system or do some money jobs here, the question is just, okay, is that person having some money to society or not? If they do, in a way that doesn't impact on the community, who does that possibility to know that's I would say we also need to understand the destination context. Because you bring, uh, you bring Somalia to the UK, yeah? one village in the UK. And remember, in Somalia or in any other African country or in Syria now, someone was living in locality, and that locality has implications, but suddenly people have not integrated into the system at that level. So conflict has, has uprooted them from A to Z, and we accept them from the world. That becomes very challenging. But what is the kind of agriculture? Which markets can do what? What possibilities, what capacities do they have? If you check on that, because first we accept them because of international instruments, which you know, we see them as true, but also because of humanitarian concerns that we save people's lives. Okay? But then we do the empathy, but after that, what do we do? Okay, we save people from being killed by a dictator or terrorists. What do we do after that? Should they just sit down? In most countries, People start to get social benefits. That's okay if it's a safety net. But I also agree with it in Africa. We don't have, we don't have what in the world is called out here or social benefits as such. But we support each other. And the support is making people move the next step on your own. So you see the first support, but it's not the end of everything. Well, if we allow people to come and we start giving them handouts, then there's a problem. That's just a reality we need to accept. So if they are here, then people should get something to do. And if they do something, the mentality of the is not so different because they know that everyone is making a contribution. But uh, there are interesting responses in different countries why focus is not on those kind of dynamics. So the policies can have a very uh, serious implication for possibilities for return. <coughs> and the, the last point is we don't look at a lot of potentials of what communities are doing. Actually, in the Netherlands, I'm sure they are starting to think of how to link the Netherlands and their country origin in terms of emerging market possibilities, investors working together with uh, local companies in the Netherlands and other countries. 
If you can't find jobs here, but you're part of the society, then you take on elections outside. And these kind of things are possible through collective organizing, because there we bring the ideas together. But these are dynamics which are, or, or potentials which have not been paid attention to in policy circles. And I'll give some arguments later why we th they think in this direction. Because they, they, they belong to two, several worlds. So the study was based on a fieldwork which I did in Nano, uh, also in the Netherlands, uh, and part of it I did in Germany and also in Kenya. Just for comparative purposes. To see how the institutional and policy, the institutional policy and legislative frameworks in the Netherlands, in the UK, in Germany, uh, influences how the rest are organized. And to what extent are they influenced here? I talked to policymakers, uh, people within the migrant community, people working with them. I went back to Ghana where they implemented projects. And my views before us were collecting projects. We talk about remittances, which we know about. But that's very individual. Although some of these feel that they're not going to be spent on building and so on. But actually, the question is what makes a difference is an initiative that targets a larger population. I cannot build a school on the south in my village or where I'm born. But we, two, three of us or more can make a difference. And they are doing that. Home countries are doing that. But most projects working on public health are reaching quite a large number of people. And that's where we can say, how is migration continuing to development in a much broader way, which is not individual. And then when you try to look at where is that resource coming from, it's also very interesting, based on the country you're looking at. <coughs> this is just a short overview. Uh, probably you've read about Ghanaians, but Ghanaians currently very stable, or relatively stable, actually, the golden standard for transition of peace in Africa since last month. But before that, most Ghanaians left when they had a crisis in the 70s, it was a political crisis, there were several coups, and then economic downturn which made people leave. And in that period, many chose for, also there was the impact on structural adjustment programs, which has some effect still today, even though we don't talk about it so much. <coughs> and there was famine in the 1980s and drought, which made many people to leave. So poverty was rampant, uh, there was unemployment, and then a little bit of conflict towards the end of the uh, early 90s. So some of those things became push and pull uh, push factors, people leaving. But those who left also, uh, or people trying to find possibilities elsewhere, said, okay, let me find things uh, differently. And that movement has continued until recently, when uh, the conditions in Ghana started to change. Then we could say, okay, but if things change in Ghana, are people returning? And if some are returning, what makes them to return? And the main destination has been mostly West Africa, within the ECOWAS, Europe, and North America. North America and, and Europe, uh, North America mostly because of the language connections the common discussions in the past. Europe, the UK is one of the leading Germany and the Netherlands are very odd. They had no connection with Ghana directly. I mean, they had historical connections, but that was also the reason for Ghana's going to the Netherlands. Uh, it was about the Dutch policies uh, in the 90s, asylum and refugee policies that accepted people when they had crisis, uh, like we have now. 
And once a few went there, took the networks, people started to come. And you can see <coughs> uh, among the top five destination countries, UK, uh, Italy, Germany, Netherlands, and Spain, in that, but also France, uh, there are quite a large number of uh, Ghanaians in, in France. Uh, there are different reasons why they've gone into those destinations. In the southern, in southern Europe, as you know, it's always different. So many people really end up there. When people are in France, in the plantation, uh, when I was in Italy once, I was talking to some Ghanaians, I found them. They say it was possible for them to work in the conditions where they're foods and this kind of things, uh, which was much easier than coming this way. So in the process, many ended up staying at Peter. But uh, mostly high skilled uh, people who came as students came to the UK. That's why this large number here also. And the other thing is family reunion or formation. If, uh, uh, family formation and family reunion and also networks. Once people have gone in, then they try to ask others to join. Netherlands also had a very good economic boom for quite some time. So many jobs were possible in the, in, in the agricultural sector, the uh, agricultural sector and also in flower jobs. So that was possible for some time. <coughs> but that has changed now. Uh, there were policies on highly skilled migrants, which apply to many EU countries. Uh, some Ghanaians made use of it, but not very many. Uh, the people have come for studies, and as you know, in most countries, once people finish their graduate studies, they possibly stay for one year. In the Netherlands, you can stay after graduation one year to do a job. So some do make use of those kind of possibilities, but it's not a large number. Family uh, formation union is the most important because the first wave of the group of migrants that came Actually, when you see the statistics in terms of population, you see men and women are almost the same size. That means at least someone has a partner. And that means uh, uh, relationships played a big role in terms of how the women came. Because most migration in the past from Ghana were mostly male-dominated. But now we see a shift towards more female migration. And then employment opportunities and networks became a key. Some people also used the Netherlands as a transit. They were heading to the United States, came to Europe, but they ended up staying. But that's not a very big now for people. So what we see is uh, interesting characteristics, as usual. We see diversity of groups, uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, ethnic groups from Ghana can be found in the Netherlands. And that can also be reflected in the type of organizations. If you look at the relationship they have, especially the home associations, you see how they're all focused on different regions of Ghana, which is an interesting uh, trait. Uh, and when we talk about contribution to development, we can think of what this means, for, uh, what are the implications of this diversity. As I said, gender is relatively the same. Uh, some recent studies uh, by Valentina was have confirmed that uh, quite a number of Ghanaians are not highly in their circle, but at least have gone past secondary school. Uh, but we also have a few that have gone to college and university. The problem is that in the Netherlands, uh, because of the recognition of their qualifications, they end up doing on jobs. So again, compared to UK, they're doing much better here than in the Netherlands to solve the level of the accreditation of the certificates. And then you see also in the labor market participation, 
as I said, it's not that because they are all non educated, it's just because they cannot go into the right places. So people end up doing things like this. The other reason is that yes, we like to work hard. For the reason why I left. So, to take the long process of achieving something here, because it's just moving on and coming. I'm not educated yet from them, but also to be what you know, left for a reason, and you know, to go back and something. So, the work we have to build a house and so on. So, people say, okay, I need my degree on the side, I need some job, I have no money to do this. So, many end up just doing what they're doing like this. So, there's a waste of their skills also in that process. And then we see there are a lot of activities around religion. The Pentecostal church is very active. And that has a reason because when the policies were very strict at some point and things changed, the religion became a very important uh, factor in how to keep people. Uh, community mobilization, they are very highly organized. Also, uh, some people argue about this. It's not just coming because of the context. But I say, community organizing is certainly not enough. Organizing in Africa is very common. It's here today, uh, though it's things are changing now. But for quite some time, many things are organized in community. As long as you come together, coming together is very important. So, but that's never explains too much the literature, why people get organized. Although threats from policy changes and like, the political situation, they come in, people feel threatened, so they mobilize together to defend their rights. But there are also other dynamics behind us. And then we see the question of integration. Many have been there for quite some time, almost 30 years more or more. But integration becomes a problem because the Ghanaians went into their own communities, working on jobs. And because of the language problem, they have good con contact with the Dutch people, but still they are confined in their own group. Because most areas think of going back. So being there is very temporary. So people don't invest on being here. I think probably the ones in the UK could be different, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, although everyone is trying to build back at home. But the case of the Netherlands, most of them are, were just there to get what they can do and then they work home. So the, the mental shift is towards life, even though they are there physically and what they do. And that has implications in terms of uh, going back. But we can see already those conditions tell us why would someone in the Netherlands think that Ghanaians will not return? Well, actually, they're living on a daily basis, engaged with Ghana uh, very intensely. Most locations, uh, it's very interesting to see also where they are located. So, some former cities are very housed. But that's also, uh, Amsterdam is living because of one area, probably you are aware of the Bali, the east of the, of the, of the city, where there are more than uh, 20,000 members location. Uh, the, that, that place has more than 56 nationalities in the same place. And it's, Amsterdam is close to Seaborn, close to the flower foundations around. So it's like the gateway. So networks, support systems are there where people can find someone to go to and first house and so on. So in that way, you see more people trying to be around Amsterdam. Uh, another one is uh, Almeida, which is the, the head is also one important place. Also because there are some conditions around the not in the city but also in the city. Then you also see uh, uh, Almeida, which is a small city, it's a new city. 
Let's talk about the most of it. There was a movement of uh, expanding national people getting into satellite cities, and Armenia was one of them. In a few years, the first generation had possibilities to buy houses. So many people could afford that, friends in Armenia. And then there was a new area, close to Amsterdam, in a few years in the Russia. So it was, logistically, it was very promising. Orkada, which is the harbor, and a small job, it's not interesting, but you don't see any domestic, well, that's where a job is supposed to be. But, but now it's very small. Again, it's also because of what we call the downside area. It is, it is a region within the Netherlands where transport system which is a very easy thing. So people would like to say where the community is and then go for jobs elsewhere. Instead of moving to give you another location. So they will stay in the same places and go to work in other places. So these two, uh, these four areas becomes the key areas of stay. As I said, large communities, also the networks, but also safety nets through association life, which was taking care of everything from religion, food, health, because if you are most undocumented, for example, uh, don't go to the healthcare system. Because something that migrants are taking Very few so I don't know when then someone goes to get public service. So the informal system supports these people. That's why they are more concentrated in those areas, because there they get this kind of support. And then the other point was also the job opportunities in these areas, and also the multicultural policy in those cities. Amsterdam, because of the, 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 the dynamics in terms of the competition, as was or had relatively uh, favorable policies which encourage people to engage in activities. And that has attracted people to certain locations. The Netherlands has six uh, priority uh, policy areas. These people sometimes, since it's not the eight, it doesn't matter which government is in power, but it can, it can change in tone. It's not in, uh, in, in, in essence. So this is the key. And you can see that uh, some of the policies are focused on the management of location, which is at the domestic level, but also at EU level, they work together with at EU level. And then they work with countries of origin, like capacity building for the customs and the relations department, as part well of the management of location. Circular migration is there is, as a very big topic, and I am very key to doing that. Actually, I think you mark. It's presented in another language, as it originally came. But it's not very successful, I can tell you, from the case that is a doctor. Because they're not really saying it's the people. But they get very big budgets from the Dutch government, 4 million or that. So it's the only area of migration where there's a big budget, and it's like an island. So they get a few uh, euros, which is for transport, and some of the etiquette, and then the government uh, When you ask them how successful that was, people say, I just go back to the other because you send someone away and don't know why they left in the first place. So now they're coming up with the other ideas of how to implement that. And the other one is also implement migrant organizations. There, the Netherlands has done very well. There's so many migrant organizations that are That's why this one of the leading countries are the same migrant organizations. Because they're subsidies which were influenced by the minority policies for some time. So there are a lot of private subsidies for at the municipal level for different groups, mostly the similar groups, 
and then the open data workers from Turkey and Europe to get these people to the Paris and they were allowed to have their accounts from the end of that. So there's funding that allows us to do what you want to do with this. Another thing I know this is different discussions about that project. It's a harassment to be here in Austin by allowing you to just be doing one way going to the And in the last recent policy called Resolving for Penalization based on religion, the World Center Mission, the World Center School, Catholic, Protestant, Humanistic, and so on. So finding for who's also based on that. So when migrants came, they got this possibility to benefit from this penalization. But it can also end up keeping you away from society. That's why some, for example, some scholars are arguing that multiculturalism is not working. In general, there's big discussions. But I think it's the other side of the coin. Uh, because as much as they spend time on these things, they also make contributions, which people are not working. Because once you feel marginalized and left out, these kind of activities became the And then the link between remittances, that was also another discussion, but remittances of individuals. So there are a lot of initiatives to support cost-effective way of sending money home. And then the last one is uh, return and reintegration. But also there's also a question about retention, which is in that place at the moment. So it's a lot of funding for retaining people in the regions already. That's why the last one is I want to see their level. So that senior students can stay there. You also see now people in Turkey. And they try to do something in Africa also. To the UNHCR. So if, instead of going away, they need to stay in the region. So there's a very big discussion about retention policy, which is not visible or publicly spoken. But it is there in the policy. So it is these policies that shape how migrants are able to deal with the system. And it brings me to the concept of political opportunity structure, which I use in my work. It's about the, the kind of possibilities that people get from the context where they live. So it is more for the policy government, favorable or allowing people, for example, what I mentioned, they want to buy them. But also, if it is constraining or it is giving possibilities. So we can see that there are some policies that could give possibilities, but there are others which are constrained. And then legislation which is put behind that was, especially the integration policy. And then you see <coughs> in the Netherlands they have a consultative framework where migrant organizations together with the bank can always go into the policy discussions at national level for global. So that gives room for engagement at certain level. But also we see subsidies attached to those kind of initiatives. So there's a lot of funding for different initiatives. Uh, but what's not discussed always is the role of the agentic power of the employers. They're not just leaders of the state, they also take issue. And that plays a role in the whole discussion. And with that, we get the diaspora resources, which we never count for. When diasporas are given, for example, 5,000 pounds, platforms, 5,000 pounds, that you look at the kind of activity they're going to it's so massive. It's so commercial, so that's one. But why, why do they get the part of It is It is contribution from them. Their time, offices, cars, telephones, everything they're doing, and personal money they buy items for these things, which is, again, income, which was part of the public, or the economy. But that is never accounted for in all these processes. 
So, and the kind of social problems they're solving, if you bring that to the welfare system problem, it will break the loss from the system. But they already take care of that. It is never happening. That's why when we do the discussion about what the virus will be or what the they make, we don't factor in the actual condition they make, even though they spend. Most of the spend money here. Actually, uh, some sectors have 60% of our income, my income, is spent here. 40% is almost there, and that's the goal I myself. Then it goes to relatives and other countries. So you can see without how much of our contribution we make. As someone said, we take away. That's the discussion. So I use this concept to try to understand the context under which migrants function, but also what possibilities are there and what they're rolling in it. And apply the same in the country's origin. It's when they go the other side. What kind of policy environment do they encounter? And that varies from group to group. And then we see collective organizing. Because of those, that context, people start to get together. If it is favorable or if it is challenging, they start to get into groups. And one focus is welfare. Uh, sometimes they also do that in response to policy. <coughs> in Amsterdam, when the policies became very strong, uh, deportations were there, some people were being pushed out of buildings at one time with police raids, and yes, I get together with the migrants and the liars to deal with the police, and those kind of things stopped. And some also got uh, discussions with politicians. Socioeconomic conditions in Ghana becomes a big issue. It is a collective concern, but also an individual concern. First, about people you left back home, and others, because of personal interest, people are taking over time. Actually, the collective has two sides to it. It's about the community left behind to improve it so that when we return, we have a good place to return to. Based on the experiences here, in terms of education, healthcare, and public services. So they want the same standards here, there. So that when they return, they have the same kind of conditions. And two, others invest in these things because they want to be part of it. So if you talk about circumvention, you already can see from the motives of why people even workers' organizations, it's already inherent in that process. In, in my study, I found 245 organizations. That is just uh, not the social conviction, because there's informal organizations that are trying to account for the ones which are registered. It's a challenge to find the exact numbers, but this is what I get to. The previous study had around 300. But they keep on changing, because some don't have names, or addresses have changed. But I know this is what I have. And from this, you can say, if you want to engage with them, how do you start? And this is made up of different <coughs> organizations. Uh, i just give a few highlights here. The ones which are found to be important. And the different versions of uh, those things. The ones that are called migrant development NGOs are the ones whose activities are mostly in the and then we have professional organizations, uh, churches that are important there. But I tried to come up with a typology. I tried to conclude that these three are the most important. Why? Because most of the things that you uh, have impact not uh, have a large scale impact. It's not only for a few people. I have problems or not problems, but I try to change the hometown associations because they are ethnic related. So 
switches. <laughs> we just without the observation of the diaspora, we miss out in the world. So the imbalance is likely to cut in half. But still we see that even though the winter school in the regional origin is not a school for one family, it's a school for, a school for so many families. So the effect is much more, the impact is much more. The migrant development agencies established schools support healthcare systems, which teaches everyone regardless of the country. Umbrella organizations sometimes play a role, even though representation question is inclusivity because of problem. But you can see at national level, they advocate for issues that apply to everyone. So I try to look at their contributions from a more collective dimension in terms of impacts. And that's why I say these are the likely important ones. So we see different structures in terms of uh, characteristics. The form, some are legal, others are formal. We see also membership, uh, some others are membership, others not. I see also the, the kind of manpower they employ. People try to be professional through capacity building initiatives. I also see they are trying to, people trying to mobilize resources of different types. And geographical orientation, which is other than focus in the country of origin only or country or destination, both national and local level. And those choices have implications in terms of what they're capable of doing. And then the question of visibility. Why we are also not talking about some of these things because the activities are not visible. But the fact that they're not visible doesn't mean they're not important. Actually, the discussion of informal and formal hides so much in police discussions. Because it is a, it's a friend of other things which excludes other values. And sometimes those values are very important, could be even the most important. Uh, if we look at, take out of the box, probably those kind of aspects would be more useful to understand how, what kind of contribution we can make. And in that way, I, I try to look into that and find out what they do. And with activities, as I said, it's focused on two areas. In the country destination, which is on welfare, country origin, which is development, uh, but still also at country of destination, uh, it's about uh, three things. First is welfare, second is integration, and the other one is integration and participation. That means education, skills training, and labor market. And then the local advocacy, which is about their rights. Uh, when people are vulnerable, they try to use the mechanisms that they need. And the other thing is financial and material resource mobilizations. People get recruited the money to country of but also they get for healthcare, equipment for schools and hospitals. And then we see people trying to establish uh, institutional linkages, exit programs for students, but also they try to make businesses, companies together. And that's a new dimension because we always think of that they're supposed to take things back there. But we see a lot of initiatives which are trying to make businesses in Ghana and in so actually, the municipalities are starting to pay attention to the need for market where these migrants because the, the market markets in Africa is very interesting for Chinese people and Americans. And in the Netherlands we have Daniels for cheese. Cheese with authority over large parts of leaders. But there, there are also citizens of certain municipalities. If you go to Daniel again, you can say you can invest in pineapple or fruits in this organization. But no one pays attention to it. And our Chinese people go there and want to be to us. We say, oh, I think we're going to Chinese. We say, you have to be here when we're not talking to you. Because you don't see them. And then they will complain while there's possibilities. But we close up the possibilities because we're looking at 
other things that are happening. And that applies across the board. That's what we do with the potentials of people when, when we treat migrants as objects. And skills development becomes a, also an interesting point, which is a goal towards professionalization. But we see a focus on capacity of organizations within the discussion country, and also what they do with partners in Ghana. And again, the Netherlands, they try also to focus on how children of the can finish school of different times. So it's about personal, individual capacity and organizational capacity. And these are the key areas which, which they try to... I already discussed the levels. Uh, uh, they function at different levels. These three categories function both at national and local, uh, and national and local level, but it varies between different groups. Others are more active, especially uh, umbrella organizations don't function at local level in Ghana, but they're very active at national level in the I try to give this picture why. Because we talk about the actual engagement. Uh, Alan Gamble, who was here, worked on this subject a uh, And when we want to engage with these organizations, how we do it, at what level, other municipalities, in ministerial level, or which levels, based on who functions there. And that's why I try to make this kind of typology to explain it. And one of the main findings, as I said, the policy problem is about categorization. And these are implications of, in terms of what possibilities are there. Instead of actually uh, helping with things, it makes things very difficult. And people end up even migrating. So people even decide to come. And also higher prices in terms of smuggling, which is a big issue in Sinai area, and those other sort of things. And then people find it difficult to return. One of our arguments is the agentic uh, responsibility of migrants and communities. They're already taking initiatives. They, they know the needs of their members, even the undocumented ones. They're even talking with the undocumented ones on how to return. But we're not happy with that. Because we want to do the time the way we think about it, in a prescriptive way. And that, that we see as an inability of the policies to, uh, to invoke the agency and responsibility of migrants, especially their networks and the communities. Initiatives that already promote linkages are things which we can tap into because they're already aware of what they want to do when they return. Some are already doing it. If you talk to any migrants here and ask them what they plan to do, that's going to be very straight. But that's not what we see in policy discussion. So you see a lot of discussions about circularity talk, uh, discuss, uh, focusing on investment. And that investment is not only about the country world, it's about the country destination. But they want to put it together. So the return decisions are very important here because the decisions uh, play a very important role in this process. So we need to pay attention to the needs, desires, and expectations, which are already complex, but we need to consider the identity questions uh, because these people belong to uh, different uh, locations. Uh, the role of ICT, the connections that they have, has impact in terms of the uh, information and the images and how that influences mobility. So uh, these people are already communicating and people see what they're doing on the other side. So we can tap into this experience they have. And the other point is the demo demographic shift. Most of the first generation migrants are already taking more time. And then the retirement comes. It's also about retirement. It's also about care. 
in the UK, many are working in the care sector. People are thinking of what do they do after retirement. And some are already starting to create, uh, bring skills. Those who are working as nurses, when I was doing study in London, uh, also in Amsterdam, I in Germany, I found people really setting up, uh, setting up PCHUs there. And those initiatives have got certain uh, impacts which, uh, <coughs> which are outlined for what are the benefits for country of origin and country of destination. And you can see that in terms of policy impact, policy relevance, and what, what also accrues to members of these organizations as a community, but also as individuals. What that could mean for migration policies, circularity, harnessing the potentials, but also diaspora engagement in the country, both country of origin and country of residence. Uh, challenges, as I said, as to do with policy and the shift that we are seeing, like what we are, what's happening today. Uh, there are a lot of issues around the institutionalization, policy environment, political environment, sustainability questions, but also the diversity, how to keep managing that. Uh, in conclusion, we are, I, I, I would say the bottom-up approaches lies in these communities for managing migration. And the, uh, tapping into the agency could help us a lot in the structures to facilitate that. So it will be more voluntary, and if we support those structures, it will be possible for policymakers to tap into these experiences, which can improve the policies. Why I say that? Because return, uh, sorry, why do we need to rethink circular migration? It's because these people already have transnational lives, simultaneously engaged, but also they have the dual affinity and identity, including nationality. So that means we can say we, we pluck them and throw them there, but they also belong here. They have children, they have multiple homes, they've invested here and investing there, Retirement option means they are thinking about old age and care. Some want to do it there. And we already have people discussing these possibilities from an economic point of view. And the last point is, we need to think of aspirations for retirement, motivations for how to be, what Thank you for listening.